Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the day that we look forward to when we shall be with you. God, when we are wed to you in all eternity. Thank you that you have made us your children. Thank you that you have made us your bride. And thank you that you are the perfect husband. Help us as your bride to submit to you, Christ Jesus. Please help us to hear your word this morning. And please help us, Holy Spirit, to obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As I could say every time that I preach, but particularly on this subject, I don't preach from, the, from experience, from the amount of experience I've had in marriage. There are many of you men and ladies who have been married for a number of years who could uh, share with us a great deal of, of wisdom about, about marriage. But I hope to gain a picture from God's Word of what marriage is, is to be. But let me first contextualize this, this for us. Philippians 4.8, 4.8, and I believe that will be on the screen. Um, uh, 4.8 says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something among you is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. If something among you is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And it's with this passage in mind that I I want to hold up something that is praiseworthy among us. And it's not something, when something like this happens, it's not something we should just briefly think about and then just move on. But it's something we should, should dwell on. On June 6th, this coming week, Earl and Lila Garrison will celebrate their 70th 70th wedding anniversary, 70th. Mr. Earl is is here, you all see him, and Mr. Earl and Miss Lila have remained faithful to one another during all these years, and even within the last months, we've seen Mr. Earl carry out, and both of them carry out this faithfulness toward one another, but Mr. Earl... Uh, day in and day out, has been at the skilled nursing facility where Miss Lila is seeking to uh, recover, and he is there every day, just being there with her. But these 70 years have been a a model of of faithfulness. And so I I had the chance to speak with Mr. Earl this week and wanted to share some of these things with you. Mr. Earl, one of the first things he said before I could even really get a question, I had some questions that I wanted to ask before I could really even ask a question, Mr. Earl would say that the five most important words that have echoed in his heart over and over again the last 70 years are, till death do us part. Till death do us part. Not that he was ready for death to part them, but that it was not until death that they would part. That until then, he had said, I do. And after I do, he said, till death do us part. And so with that commitment, he would remain faithful to Miss Lila. And she would remain faithful to him. He said, our marriage has been built around love, and we know that love comes from God. God loves us, so we can love each other. And so he said, this means that we we can forgive each other, even when we have disagreements. And he said, as all marriages do. But he said, if a marriage is to succeed, there must be forgiveness, and a forgiveness that comes from God. 
you know, that besides just the normal troubles that come along with being married and sharing the home with a, a man or woman, they also went through the devastating loss of a son when he was 15 years old. And he said it was, it was a traumatic experience. He was killed suddenly, but he said they were only able to do it as they, as they, they trusted God. As they realized that he was that he was with God, and he said, even now, that even recently, as they near the end, he said they talk about being able to see their son in eternity. But he said that it was in trusting God that they got through that time, and they got through it together. So, as a, as a body, we we should give thanks to God for sustaining the lives of Mr. Earl and Miss Lila, and sustaining their marriage. So that we might see it and we might give thanks to them for their faithfulness. But we also might see that this is what each married couple is to look to and to be. To be faithful one another all of their years. So, I hope that you take the opportunity to extend to Mr. Earl your gratitude to him. But even more to God for this example for us. This is a good thing. This is a praiseworthy thing. And so, together, I want us to ask this question this morning. What what is a marriage that's worthy of praise? What does it take to have a marriage that's worthy of praise? I also want to note that Katie wanted me to make sure I uh, communicate that the reason she's not here this morning is not because I'm preaching on marriage. That's not it. But all of us would probably be hesitant to say that we have a marriage that's worthy of praise. I mean, maybe a second out of the day, we're feeling pretty good about it. But, you know, then the next second something happens. We're like, what just happened? And so all of us, you know, marriages just have troubles sometimes. You know, the marriage of Martin Luther is really an interesting one. Martin Luther is the one who's credited with starting and carrying out much of the Protestant Reformation. And... It's particularly interesting considering the way we approach marriage today. Marriage today, uh, Ladies, if, if you think you have it bad, <laughs> you should consider his wife. It's said that when they got married, his sheets had not been changed in nearly a year and were foul with sweat. <laughs> but it's the history behind the marriage that's really intriguing. You see, Luther was a monk and Catherine, his t- wife-to-be, was a nun. <laughs> It's kind of an odd couple, right? But Luther had discovered that it wasn't demanded in the Bible that a priest be unmarried, right? And so he began to urge many priests to become married, although he himself never intended to to become married. But what happened is that this nun's life was in danger. She became a part of this uh, Protestant movement, and her life was in danger from the Catholic Church. Unless she became married, a man would take her in and take care of her. And and moreover, Luther thought he might soon be killed. But he felt that if he was married, it would allow his work to continue on long after he was dead. It, It would be a testimony of what he believed, that a priest did not have to remain unmarried. And so he summarizes his reasons for marrying Catherine. It's quite romantic. He gives three reasons. To please his father to spite the Pope and the devil, and to seal his witness before martyrdom. Wouldn't you appreciate that, ladies? Will you marry me so that I can please my father and spite the Pope? But this is where it is really incredible. While Luther's motives in marrying Catherine, she's not said to have been a very beautiful woman. 
his motives might have been a little off. Luther believed that a man was called to love his wife. And so, you know, while there wasn't the romance, romance that went along with it, like there is for many of us when we think we should, that's what we should look for in finding a spouse, is something, feeling something in our hearts or uh, the romance, Luther says, of course the Christian should love his wife. He is bound to love his neighbor as himself. His wife is his nearest neighbor, therefore she should be his dearest friend. He also said the dearest life is to live with a godly, willing, obedient wife in peace and unity. And, you know, from the things he said about his wife, I think he would say that this is the life he experienced. He had a wife that he loved. But you know what? He he learned to love her. Because he was married to her. He also expressed the natural difficulty that came along in marriage. Their marriage wasn't perfect. They, they were married for over 20 years. Or had six children together. Were faithful to their deaths. But he would say, good God, what a lot of trouble there is in marriage. Adam has made a mess of our nature. Think of all the squabbles Adam and Eve must have had in the course of their 900 years. Eve would say, you ate the apple. And Adam would retort, you gave it to me. Any of you want to go for 900 years? I wonder what what gift do you give on the 500th anniversary? I think it's coal at that point. You know, every marriage has trouble, but even Luther and his wife, not approaching marriage for the purpose of romance, but for love, for faithfulness to one another, and they were. And they were faithful. It would be impossible for me this morning to cover every issue that goes along with marriage. And, and I really don't want to make light. I pray I don't make light of very difficult situations. If, friends, if you're in an abusive marriage this morning, I want to encourage you to immediately, as quickly as possible, to seek counsel. Whether that's from one of our elders or from a professional Christian counselor. If you're in something that is difficult, then please, I, I don't want to make light of that this morning. Go, seek counsel, come, seek counsel. There are difficult issues that go along with marriage and we want to acknowledge that. But the two main things I want to consider this morning are what is marriage? What is marriage? And then how does it work? How does it work? Also, I want to say to, to singles this morning, you may think we're doing a sermon on marriage. How does this relate to me? Well, I would encourage you with the fact that the guy who wrote this chapter He probably wasn't married, yet he thought marriage was a pretty big deal. He thought it was a big deal to the entire church. And so even if you are single this morning, I hope you will consider and that you will stay with us and think about how you can support marriage even from the outside, how you can hold up marriage as having a sacred purpose within the church. So we will consider first this This question, what is marriage? You know, in in verse 32 of uh, Ephesians chapter 5, I know you probably haven't turned there, if you will. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 22 through 33 will be the main focus this morning. But Paul says in verse 31 through 32, he quotes Genesis chapter 2, which Mr. Al read earlier. A man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And he says, this mystery is profound. And I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. You know, there's kind of an ironic parallel with our culture that 
also seems to find marriage to be a great mystery. No one can really define it, can they? I mean, just in, in the coming weeks, any day now, really, the Supreme Court will give us some of their opinion on what marriage is. But this is the debate within our culture. What is marriage? Is it just between a man and a woman? Is it something for the purpose of propagating, of having children? Or is it an emotional bond between two people, which would mean that whatever gender those two people are, they're still allowed to be married? What, what is the definition of marriage? Marriage. We all know things that should happen in marriage. There should be love. There should be a form of commitment. But is that it? Is that it? A conservative uh, definition, which a journalist recently called it, this lifelong marriage commitment, the long slog till death. But you know, even if we define marriage as a lifelong commitment, it, even within that, it doesn't matter how people treat one another necessarily. There was a couple I heard of in in seminary within a church that they had not lived together in a number of years. But legally speaking, they were still married. And they attended the same church. But they kept their marriage, even though they were living separately, so that they weren't guilty of divorce. So, they would be faithful to this definition of just a a lifelong legal commitment. But is that all that marriage is? A lifelong legal commitment? And this is where we want to see what the Scriptures tell us, exactly what it is. We we can see that marriage is a covenant, an, an agreement between a man and a woman. A man and a woman. This is throughout Ephesians 22 through 33. It's implicit there. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, 22 says. For the husband is head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and himself its Savior. As the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. This is the Genesis 2 definition of marriage, and the two shall become one flesh. Throughout this, chat, this passage, Paul refers to marriage as this union between a man and a woman. And friends, just particularly because this is an issue in our culture, I want to say that Paul def, Paul's definition is not because he wasn't aware of homosexuality. Some would say that. That this is a new thing, homosexuals wanting to be married. But it's not a new issue. Paul was completely aware of it. But it was never... Potentially, marriage. And so even Jesus speaks about marriage in Matthew 19, 4 through 9. And I won't read all of this, but Jesus just gives us a sense of what he believes marriage to be. He answered, speaking to Pharisees, Have you not read that from the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh? 
So they are no longer two, but they are one flesh. Therefore, even Jesus says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Jesus is going to go on to say that uh, they ask him, then why did Moses give certificates of divorce? And Jesus will say, because of the hardness of your heart. You see, divorce is always the result of sin. It's always the result of sin. So Jesus and Paul agree that marriage is a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. Some people have said, I say this because you might hear this argument, that because Jesus never actually speaks against homosexuality, that he would, actually, he would allow for it. And that's an argument from silence, which is not helpful and not true. You see, Jesus, in referring to Genesis 2, is ascribing authority to the Old Testament view of marriage, which is between a man and a woman in a lifelong commitment. But there is another part of marriage that is so important and central to the biblical message. And that is that marriage is a living symbol of God's covenant. Marriage is a living symbol of God's covenant. And I want to bring this out from verses 29 through 32 in Ephesians 5. Please look at this closely with me. Verse 29 of chapter 5. No one ever hated his own flesh, but he nourishes and cherishes it as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. And then Paul quotes Genesis chapter 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Here's what's extremely very interesting and important here. In Genesis chapter 2, right before it says that the man shall leave his father and mother about Adam and join to his wife, Adam says, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. You, he, he, explain, excuse me, he explains why they become one flesh. Because Eve comes from Adam. She is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Well, Paul doesn't quote that part. Instead, he tells us that we are members of Christ's body. You see, Eve was a member of Adam's body, so they became one flesh. We are members of Christ's body. And so Paul is drawing a clear parallel that as Adam and Eve became one, we become one with Christ. And we are His bride. We are members of Him. It's an unmistakable parallel between the original marriage of Adam and Eve and the present future marriage between Christ and the church. Eve was created through Adam. The church was created through Christ. Adam and Eve were joined together, became one flesh. Christ entered into covenant marriage with us through His blood. Eve was created to help Adam. The church was created to serve Christ. So when Paul says this mystery is great, He's not simply talking about marriage, but he's talking about how Christ and his relationship with the church is reflected through a truly Christian marriage. 
The parallels could go on. But the point is that marriage, friends, it's not simply a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman, nor is it just a partnership for the bearing of children, but it's a dynamic, living picture of God's gracious work in His people through Christ. When you say, I do, you are saying that I commit to be a picture for the rest of my life of God's love for His people through Christ. You're saying, man, that I will lay down my life for this woman as Christ laid down His life for the church. And wife, you are saying, or to be wife, you are saying, I will submit to this man as the church submits to Christ. It's an eternal picture. And it's even in the Old Testament that this is so clear. Ezekiel 16, 8. God says of His people, I passed by you and watched you, noticing you had reached the age for love. I spread my cloak over you and covered your nakedness. I swore a solemn oath to you and entered into a marriage covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. You see, marriage was not a human invention. It's not just for human purposes. But it's a loving, lifelong commitment between a man and a woman symbolizing God's covenant, His commitment to His people through Christ. I wonder, married couple or a person who's thinking about becoming married, do you think about marriage in that way? That seriously? That seriously? I saw just the other day that there's a TV show on ABC now that is just, it's about affairs. And it's glorifying affairs. And I want to challenge you Christians. Don't play with marriage. Don't joke about marriage. Don't joke about cheating. Husband, don't joke about other women. Don't. Don't joke about how great this other woman looks or her body is. Marriage is not to be toyed with. It is God's covenant with His people. And your faithfulness to your spouse tells other people how faithful God is to His people. So... What is marriage? It's, it's lifelong. It's, it's a loving commitment between a man and a woman. And it symbolizes God's commitment to His people through Christ. And so then, let's look at how does it work? How does it work? Verses 22 through 33. This is the entire passage. And I want to say that if marriage is a picture of Christ in the church, which it is, then we need to take Christ's central act on behalf of the church and make it central to our marriages. And that act is His sacrifice on the cross. His forgiveness of our sins. And so, in general, the marks of any marriage, any Christian marriage, should be sacrifice and forgiveness. Over and over again, friends, these are the things that should be active, continually happening in our marriages. And they have to happen over and over again, because we sin over and over again. That's what's so humbling about marriage is because we keep messing up. We keep doing the same thing over and over again. Yet these things have to be central. We have to lay down our lives. We have to forgive each other. And we have to love each other. That's what marriage should be about. But nevertheless, Paul does provide some really specific instructions for men and for women. 
And I will look at the, the husbands first. This will get me in less trouble. Marriage works through the sacrificial love of husbands. This is how it works. And I, I don't want to say works in just some mechanical sense in which if, if you just do this, everything's going to pan out okay. It, it, marriage isn't mechanical. We all, we all know that. But it requires our, our hearts. And so it, it works. This is how it, God has designed it, that husbands would be sacrificially loving towards their wives. It says in these verses, particularly verse 23, the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. This is a matter of authority. This is how God has designed it, that the men would lead in their homes. Men, just so you know, you, you can't delegate that. You can't say for a minute, well, I, I'd like you just to be play head for a little while. You can't. You are head of your wife, of your family by design. You lead your family by design, either into destruction or into flourishing and success. You make that decision. But men are the head of, the man is the head of the wife. And it says, the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit and everything to their husbands. But verse 25 is so crucial. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself. Up for her. This gave himself. It, it's such a big word. He put himself in its, the church's place. The church was doomed to destruction because of their sin. But Christ gave himself up for her. And I've outlined this passage for those of you who are a bit visual. It might be helpful. But the point is that, that Christ loved the church. This was his, this was his feeling. But that led to action. And so because he loved the church, he gave himself on behalf of her. Husbands, your love for your wife will always come and be displayed through action. If you're not doing anything, then you're not loving her. Words don't mean much. It's your action that means something. Christ loved the church and that meant that he acted on behalf of the church. He laid his life down. And this is what that would bring about. Sanctifying her. Through the washing of water with the word. And that would lead to presenting the church to himself glorious. Not having stain or wrinkle or any such thing. But it would be holy and blameless. So let me explain this concept of sanctifying her through the washing of water with the word. Paul is probably drawing from Ezekiel. You see, there was something, they would have a bridal bath before a marriage. And in Ezekiel, it talks about how God entered into covenant with his people and he cleaned them up. It says in Ezekiel, I bathed you in water and washed the blood off you, anointed you with fragrant oil. I dressed you in embroidered clothing and put fine leather sandals on your feet. I wrapped you with fine linen and covered you with silk. I adorned you with jewelry. I put bracelets on your hands and a necklace around your neck. It says you were adorned with gold and silver while your clothing was in fine linen, silk, and embroidery. You ate the finest flour, honey, and olive oil. You became extremely beautiful and attained the position of royalty. Friends, this is what happened when God entered into this marriage covenant with His people. He made them beautiful. 
and in this passage, to the point of royalty. And so this is the bridal bath. It says that Christ was washing his people through his word. The word simply means the word of the gospel. This is how Christ brings people into relationship with himself. The message that he died for our sins. And that he brings us life and forgiveness. So, friends, all of us, many of us who have trusted Christ, we know the transforming effect that His love and His care have on our lives. Can't you all remember, those of you who have chosen to follow Christ, can't you remember the time when you began to experience Christ's love in your life? When you first experienced salvation? Can you recall some specific experiences of when God forgave you and wrapped His loving arms around you even though you had done something that was very wrong? Many of us can recall something, a, a moment of when God's displayed his, his real care for us. And you know, so many people that we know, when they entered into a relationship with Jesus, it, they became more gentle. The, kind of the rough a- edges came off. They, they became less angry or more responsible. In some way, their life was transformed because of their relationship with Christ. That, that's what happens when we encounter Jesus. He works in us and He makes us, in general, just more attractive people. Not necessarily outwardly, that would be nice, right? But inwardly, He, he, he sanctifies our hearts and He cleanses us of sin. Here's the point for marriage. And husbands, please listen here. Here's what Paul is telling us. Is that God uses the gentle love of a husband to nurture and encourage his wife. And she grows in beauty. Spiritually, emotionally, physically, she grows in beauty. Listen to what one author says. When a man takes a woman into his home, all who know them should expect to see her, the wife, flourish and grow in loveliness in the years to come. As Christ took on full responsibility for the beauty of the church, it's crucial that husbands come to see that they are fully responsible for the loveliness of their wives. Do you see the parallel? Christ cleansed His bride by the washing of the Word and so that He could present her to Himself later without any spot or wrinkle and she would, be without, she would be holy and without blemish. And Paul says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Husbands, you are responsible for the loveliness and the beauty of your wife. And you cultivate that through your persuasive, through your pursuing and your deep love for her. You know, this is not a a point to to brag on me in any way. It was just an incredible experience. I went with Katie to her family last week to see them. And while we were there, her dad made the comment. He said, Katie just gets more beautiful the older she gets. And then one of her family members said, she seems like she's so well taken care of, just so happy about life. And you know, it's not that I've done anything, but it was just, it was so encouraging to me. It meant that my wife is somehow being taken care of. Husbands, do your wives feel, do our wives, do they feel secure in our love? Do they? 
You know they should, because our love is a reflection of Christ's love. Our love, our our wives should feel so secure in our home, under our roof. They should always feel that they are going to be taken care of, that they don't have to worry about the days to come, because their husbands will lead their family well. He will pursue God, and he, in pursuing God, will lead the family. In general, we're going to talk about the wife's submission in a moment, but in general, Okay, just in general, a wife's submission is really a response to the husband's love. You know, this is what happens between Christ and the church. We love, as First John says, because he first loved us. Christ wooed us to himself. And this is what Paul is part of what he's saying when he says, he who loves his wife loves himself. You know, any man with any sense at all knows that it's best, life is best, when he's loving his wife well, right? I mean, we all know the statement, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Yeah. So when a husband rightly cares for his wife, the family in general is much more likely to flourish. And so men, are you loving your wife as your own body? It says Christ, one nourishes and cares for his own body. Part of that means to heat. Like to, so if you're cold, you will get something to make yourself warm, right? So, husbands, do you deny the needs of your wife in any way? Or do you fulfill the needs of your wife in the same way you would your own? In the same exact way you would your own? And this means in every sense, spiritually, emotionally, physically, whatever needs she might have, you were called to lay your life down to please and seek her good. Husbands, I would charge you to look at the application here. This means that when you think about looking at porn, when you think about taking an extended look at another woman or engaging with another woman in an inappropriate way, you should think about what it would feel like to cut off a part of your own body. Would you really willingly sin against your own flesh? Because this is what you're doing when you hurt your wife. She is your own body. As we are one with Christ, you are one, we are one together with our spouses. So men, are you laying your life down? Are you loving your wife? As Christ loved the church. But secondly, marriage works through the joyful submission of wives. Through the joyful submission of wives. I was watching a television show just the other day. And a couple walked in on the scene. And they had just come from a church service. And the wife was repeating the phrase. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. This was the woman. And the man walks in after. And he says. Wives submit to your husbands. And he says. You don't like that part do you? And, she sa- and he says. Why? Why don't you quote that part? And she said. Because it's stupid. <laughs> You know, we probably wouldn't say that, but we might feel that way sometimes, don't we? When one spouse is completely wrong, we might feel like the instructions just don't quite fit. 
You know, many people have, scholars and people today are trying to find a way around this phrase. Maybe submit doesn't really mean submit. Maybe it means something else. Maybe when Paul wrote this, it was just for that time period and that culture when men were over things. And now it's just so different. Women can work and they can do other things. Friends, I want to charge you. Don't try to play with the scriptures and find ways around them. The passages might be difficult and they might be hard to follow, but the question is, will we take God's word as his word and will we seek to follow it? And so it does say, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. This is way God has created us to work together. There's no way around it. So, so what is this submit? Well, Wives and husbands, listen here, it's not surrender, but it is support. Husbands, don't expect your wives just to surrender to you. But wives, likewise, support your husbands. It's not waving a white flag, but it's choosing to fight beside your husband in the battle. This last phrase in verse 33, it says... Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, that's the same phrase that comes from verse 21, when it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You see, you submit to your husband, ladies, because you've chosen to respect him. You've chosen to respect his direction and his leading in your family. And you respect him not because he's necessarily worthy. Because he might not always be worthy. But because God calls you to. Because God calls you to. Wives, it doesn't mean you don't point out error sometimes. But it does mean there are a few I told you so's. (laughs) Friends, our home should be a place where we don't have to be fearful of making mistakes. And so wives, don't make your husbands to be fearful of messing up. But extend forgiveness, extend love. And wives, I charge you with this. Be on your guard against this. Many husbands really do want to make their wives happy. They really do want to love them and care for them. But sometimes wives can use this as a desire to manipulate their husbands. And so back to the phrase, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. You know, wives can withhold emotion from their husbands or other things to get their way. And in doing so, wives, you, really, you tempt your husband to not lead the way Christ leads. So wives, are you allowing, through your emotion and your support, are you allowing your husband to freely lead the home in the way that God leads him? Husband, that doesn't mean that you don't seek your wife's opinion on things. Because you love her, you will seek her opinion. But wives, don't manipulate your husbands because that can easily happen. And for some of you here, I pray that you'll be encouraged through 1 Peter 3.1. Wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. I grant that some husbands aren't respectable. Some of us, none of us are respectable all the time. 
But wives, your respect towards a husband, even when he doesn't deserve it, could be so baffling to him that he experiences the love of Christ. I want to close with this quote. Our obedience is not to rest on the obedience of our spouse. Husband, your leadership and your laying down your life. Wife, your submission to your husband. Our obedience to God is not to rest on the obedience of our spouse. And it is always good for us to remember that God requires our spouses to render much more to us than any of us deserve. God requires our spouses to render to us far more than any of us deserve. None of us are perfect. All of us need forgiveness. All of us need grace within marriage. Let's not keep account. But let's seek to just model Christ's love for the church and the church's submission to Christ. So, in closing, friends, do you have a marriage worthy of praise? It, it, not necessarily perfect, but seeking, really seeking to faithfully model Christ's relationship with the church. Husbands, are, are you really loving your wives like Christ? I have a feeling that we can always be repenting about something in this regard. Wives, are you respecting your husbands? And Remember that respecting your husband isn't necessarily doing things for him. I would ask you this way. Do they know that you respect them? Like, have you told them how much you respect him lately? Have you reminded him of how much you respect him? And singles. Are you praying for marriages? Are you supporting the sacred role with marriage within the church? Marriage, it's an eternal symbol of Christ's devotion to His people. And so it is to always be held in high regard within the church. Do you have a praiseworthy marriage? Are you seeking to display Christ's love for the church? I would invite you this morning to to pray with your spouse or to repent personally about ways that you can be Faithful in loving your spouse and respecting your spouse. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your grace that even in this regard of marriage, you, you, Lord, you are so merciful. We are far from perfect, Lord, and we are far from able to be completely to be perfect. But Lord, you're constantly working in us, Jesus, cleansing us, sanctifying us, making us. Making us more into your image. We pray that you would help us, that you would accompany us, Holy Spirit, in this journey. Help us to lean on you and to trust your constant willingness to work in us. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus name. Amen. If you're visiting-